Hello and welcome to Don't Pee on Your Leg and Other Scientific Misconceptions, where every episode we discuss some scientific misconceptions and we hope that you learn something you didn't already know about the world. I'm here with my co-host, Camden. I made a little pizza for dinner, Hanslick Burton. And joining me is my co-host, Margaret. That's not where that goes, I told you. Hanslick Burton. And joining us as one of our guest hosts is Lindsay. Mm, I know what that marine animal is, Holiday Van Dam. <laughs> and also joining us as a, another special guest host this episode is Chris Dive Master Dive Flag Van Dam. <laughs> Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the show. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a marine science interpreter at the Seattle Aquarium, and I am also a part-time illustrator. Yeah. I run Web and Moss Studio. Yeah, Lindsay makes incredible artwork. Chris, do you want to tell us about yourself? Uh, sure. I also work at the Seattle Aquarium as, <laughs> as a uh, senior aquarist, and uh, I have a BS in oceanography, and uh, a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually have a third guest with us as well. Do you want to introduce her, Chris? Yeah, this is our, our daughter, Ronan, and she's uh, four and a half months old, and she's bearing witness today. <laughs> yeah, she is. So if you hear special grunts today, <laughs> it's not Camden. <laughs> generally, it's me, but not today. <laughs> Um, so our first segment every week is where we share something that we're excited about. Um, Lindsay, you said you knew what it was. No, you don't want to go first. I'll go first. Okay. I am excited about what we went to this weekend, which was, um, our friends held a fall fest. They rented an Airbnb for like 12 people and, um, they all went to the pumpkin patch and then we had all of these like fall challenges. We had to go out in the dark and find like a gourd scavenger hunt. And then we had to do synchronized dancing based on certain criteria. That one seems less folly. It does, but it was very fun. Um, and then a a fall cup was given to two people. So it was just really great. It was, um, in Granite Falls. Oh my gosh, that sounds Um, awesome. Who did you win the cup? Uh, no, I didn't, but you made great. I made great. I made these like big fall leaf, um, flower crowns which I'm going to use for years to come. So I feel good about that. But it was just, it was very, it was aggressively autumnal. Pagan. Yeah. And, and, and pagan. I and love pagan. Aggressively <laughs> pagan. Yes. And I loved it. I loved it. Cameron, what are you excited about? Um, last week I was in Nashville for uh, professional development for teachers. Um, this time I w- it was not in the middle of the CMAs or the NFL draft. So it was not crazy. Did you get to play the banjo? I did not play the banjo, <laughs> which is a classic national. Yeah, they wanted me to. <laughs> right as you get off the plane, they hand one to you, but you can politely decline. Um, yeah, so hung out in Nashville and enjoyed weather that wasn't super cold. And I heard a thunderstorm, which oh. for those who don't know Washington very well, it doesn't thunder, at least in like the Seattle it does region. sometimes. Like oh my goodness. twice a year. <laughs> the last couple weeks. Yeah. Fair. I, yeah, I missed the thunder here while it was gone. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> was the uh, was it last weekend? Uh, we're sitting here, and uh, Lindsay goes, "Did you see this?" And 
and there was a flash of light, and, and then there was a big crash of thunder. And uh, anyway, there was a local thunderstorm, and she goes, she shows me her phone. She says, this is the weather report for Kenmore. And you can just see this bolt of lightning on the phone, mm-hmm. you know, just specifically for here. It was like, it was right here. It was, it was clear everywhere else yeah. in the Seattle area. Oh. But we had a special Anyways. thunderstorm. Yeah, it, it does sometimes. It does sometimes, but very, it's rare. Yeah. It's very special. It's still exciting. Something I'm excited about is Halloween, which yes. anymore is not just Halloween for us. It is oh, our yeah. anniversary. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. On our, That's our anniversary. Right. That's One right. Year. That's right. Yeah. Well, congratulations early. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Chris, what are you excited about? I'm excited that we're going to take our first uh, trip with Ronan on a plane this weekend. Oh, wow. Oh. And we're going to uh, California to Paso Robles. Um, so we're flying into San Jose. And so uh, Lindsay's... Uh, uh, one of her closest friends is celebrating her 40th birthday, and mm-hmm. uh, they rented a house down there, and uh, nice. we're going to spend the weekend down there. So, so. yeah. Sunshine. Uh, yeah. yeah. It'll be great. <laughs> Rowan, so Rowan's going to be on our first flight. That's right. Well, she, and she's super excited about that, yeah, too. Yeah, she is. Got to decide if you want cookies or crackers. Mm-hmm. Do they give... I think it's just Biscoff. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you guys, she's not eating any so Oh, sorry. Right. That sorry, was too yeah, right. She'll have to just get a gin and tonic. Um, I don't know about babies. <laughs> wow. Misconception. <laughs> can't babies can't drink alcohol. gin and tonics. My mom did say today, just make sure she gets a lot of Benadryl before she goes on the Oh flight. my goodness, that's another you, one. Now oh. I think that you can't do that. I was like, right? I, I mean, you like. You're not supposed to take medicine until at least six months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. Thanks, mom. Thanks. <laughs> Is that maternal? Yeah. yeah. Listeners, be ready. We found a whole gold mine. Chris was thought of some great um like baby, like baby old wives, wives tales, tales yeah. and yeah. stuff like that yeah. that will probably be making its way onto the show <laughs> yeah. at some point it's uh, yeah the baby episode that's right or episodes mm. um so let's head into the main segment of the show which are the misconceptions every week just in case you're joining us for the first time we each bring a new scientific misconception to share explain and discuss so none of us have heard what each other is going to be presenting tonight and this is just to make it feel like more of a discussion where everybody's kind of learning together along with the listeners. So we always say we're going to flip a coin to see who goes first, but we never have a coin. And there's four of us. So <laughs> what do All you right. propose? I, there's a clock on this coaster. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to spin it around my hand. <laughs> I'm going to point to a time. I don't know what time I'm pointing to. And everyone's going to say a number between 1 and 12. Whoever's oh. the closest goes first. Goes first, or yeah, goes first. first. Yeah. Did you just come up with that on the spot? Yeah. Eight. This is. The t- <laughs> you know, I've been planning. <laughs> like Chris does it. Chris eight. <laughs> I say four. Two. Eight, four, two, uh, twelve. Okay. Six. Oh, that's between eight and four. <laughs> Who was eight and four? Me. I'm eight. I was okay. four. Uh, say another number. Okay. Uh, two. Eight. all right chris you get to go first oh boy all right (laughs) it'll be great it'll be great you got running so what's your misconception so my misconception is that especially amongst kids and even adults they they think that um when they see a diver and they see a scuba tank that it's full of oxygen Mm -hmm. gas oxygen Yep. And uh, so that's what I'd like to talk about today. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited because as the three of us, not Camden, 
um, work at the aquarium, it's something that comes up all the time. So this is a really, really good one. Yeah. So um, as you may know that the air that we breathe is roughly 21, is 21% oxygen and 78% nitrogen. So why can't a diver go to depth and breathe oxygen? Uh, it has to do with something that's called oxygen toxicity. Mm -hmm. And so breathing 100% oxygen, uh, a person could go no deeper safely than about 20 feet, which oh. is uh, 1.6 atmospheres. So, And the way that is, is at the sea level, at the surface here, we're under one atmosphere of pressure. Every 33 feet of seawater, uh, there's an additional atmosphere of pressure. So 20 feet is about... Point six of one atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So any deeper than that, the partial pressure of oxygen at that depth. So as we, when we're on scuba and we're breathing gas under pressure, um, we're, we're dealing with partial pressures. The sum of the of the partial pressures uh, governed under Dalton's law equals the total pressure of the gases. And so what happens to a person who's breathing um, pure oxygen at depth? is that um, they're going to suffer what's called uh, central nervous system toxicity. So there's that two That sounds bad. Yeah. So, <laughs> and what that results is, is, is basically convulsions and then blacking out. And mm -hmm. of course, also if bad. you're convulging underwater, yeah. convulsing, and you have a regulator in your mouth, you're bound to spit that out. Right. And you're going you're gonna to drown mm -hmm. is what's going to happen. Um, or you can, if you're ascending or you're moving, you could potentially get an embolism while you're you're seizing underwater, so um, oxygen you, is not a, a good thing for for divers. But pure oxygen. Pure oxygen. But what, I do, is, what I, is an embolism, Chris? Remi um, remind me. Embolism is when you get a uh, pocket of gas that um, basically erupts through your lungs or in another tissue of your body. Um, that's what an embolism is. So, okay. Um, also bad. Yeah. Also yeah, bad. You're really nailing what's good and what's bad here. Well, <laughs> what, what's interesting though about that is that. There are circumstances where breathing a higher concentration of oxygen underwater is good mm -hmm. uh, for a diver. For example, there are a couple of gas mixes called enriched air nitrox, right. um, or used to be just called nitrox, where you intentionally increase the percent of, of oxygen in the mix because it allows you to <coughs> dive longer and to reduce the, uh, the effects of nitrogen in the body. Um, because nitrogen is where you get the bends or decompression sickness. Mm -hmm. And so by increasing the oxygen content of the gas, you decrease uh, the effects of those type of things. But with that, there comes knowledge and there is a maximum operating depth. And that maximum operating depth, uh, it's, it's actually, again, 1.6 atmospheres. But the way they do it recreationally, uh, the partial pressure of oxygen should not exceed 1.4 ATA, so that gives you a, a margin of safety. So, for example, if you're diving in rich air 32, which is 32% oxygen, then your maximum operating depth would be 110 feet for that gas mixture. Okay. Um, and there are tables that are specifically created for that. Also, how do they know? How do they know? That's a good question. They, like, how do they know what the safe depth to go mm -hmm. is with? Guessing and checking. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, Noah developed that, and it was through uh, trial and error. <laughs> God, you know, that was what I was worried about. <laughs> you saying. So, there was there was some trial and error, just like the standard Navy uh, dive tables. You know, they had people working at depths, and and um, there was a certain incidences of uh, of the bends or 
nitrogen, um, uh, excuse me, decompression sickness that mm -hmm. occurred. And so they developed these, what they call uh, no decompression limits when people are diving, where you can assumingly dive within this profile and your chance or risk of getting some kind of uh, hit are decreased by diving within that safe profile. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say is that, you know, I mean, metabolically our bodies need oxygen and so it's interestingly <laughs> to think about like our, our brain uh, dies relatively quickly our heart needs oxygen there are major organs in our body that need oxygen mm -hmm. and it, it's interesting that the first gas that you get as uh, for a dive related emergency is 100% oxygen right to yeah. help uh release some of that excess nitrogen and, and increase perfusion to those vital organs in your body. So oxygen does have a place in diving. Um, it's also used by technical divers where they're um, decompressing. Uh, so they're going into uh, decompression diving where they have to off-gas the excess nitrogen in their body. Mm -hmm. And so at particular depths, they have stage bottles where they'll have higher concentrations of, of oxygen to help rid their body of that excess nitrogen but you that know they'll switch to underwater they'll switch to underwater they'll switch Whoa. to underwater and uh, so there are uh, uh technical diving aspects like uh, breathing rebreathers and things like that where where you are going to be breathing higher concentrations of oxygen but in general though oxygen is toxic it's toxic right. to all of us here um, it, it was it was cool. I had to do a little bit of research, and I, I looked at a good Dan article and looked in a bunch of diving books and things like that. But um, the uh, CNS toxicity, the central nervous toxicity, was uh, first described, and I want to say it was 1886, maybe, by a guy oh, named wow. by name guy named Lark, and or excuse me, his name was uh, Paul Bear, spelled B-E-R-T, Bert. Oh. Oh. Bear. And what he did, he took a lark and uh, a bird and he had it breathing air at uh, a pressure of 20 atmospheres, mm -hmm. which is super deep. I think I, I've worked out the calculation on that. It's like Chris has detailed 600 notes feet, 600 feet. Uh, and it started convulsing. Yeah. And it's like, wow, why, why is this happening? Mm -hmm. And so then what he did was he took uh, another lark and, and had it at 100% oxygen. And at um, atmospheres of only five ATA, he got the same effects. Where at five oh. atmospheres, it started convulsing, and he was he was theorizing that was caused by the partial pressure of oxygen in the body, mm -hmm. uh, creating this uh, this effect on the central nervous system. So, yeah. Wow. Back before you needed approval to work on birds and yeah, put them in <laughs> before IRBs. Vacuum tanks. Yeah. So, if if like the average divers tank is not full of 100% oxygen, what is the mixture that is in it? It's air. Okay. So divers breathe compressed air. That's mm -hmm. that's what we standardly breathe. It's just it's just under pressure. Mm -hmm. And the way scuba works, as you know, Margaret, and mm -hmm. is that it delivers air equal to the ambient pressure around us. So the deeper we go, the more dense the air that we bring into our into our bodies is, mm -hmm. and thus the partial pressure of the oxygen in that mix increases with depth. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. on air, um, even pure air, there's a there's a particular point where that oxygen in the air that you breathe has, you're going to suffer from oxygen toxicity. It's, right. it's, it's very deep beyond the depth of recreational divers, which is 130 feet, mm -hmm. but you can get oxygen toxicity from breathing air um, when those partial pressures of the oxygen get high enough within that mix. 
Wow. Yeah. So where, where do you think that that started the idea that divers are just breathing oxygen? Like, I, I don't know if there's a way to find out, but like, what would you, and Lindsay, what would you yeah, guess? Yeah. Cause you hear often, Oh look, they're oxygen there's, tank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I theorize that we teach our kids that way in school. Yeah. That we teach them the importance of the, the oxygen and how yeah. important it is to all living organisms, mm-hmm. you know, plants from produce. plants yeah. and animals. And, and so that is the one thing that they hear is that oxygen is important and to that breathe. oxygen is in the air that we breathe. And no one talks about the nitrogen mm-hmm. because it's an inert gas at, at sea level. Yeah. And even at depth, it's, it's inert. Um, but, uh, and therein lies the problem is that that gas that we respire all the time um, goes into solution in our bodies, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so, and then upon ascent, that comes out of solution. And as long as we're ascending at a slow enough rate, that's going to go through the normal pathway of, of our respiration and be cleared through our lungs in, in the air that we breathe out. Right. Um, and that's where that whole thing comes from. But I digress. I think, I think it, happens because we teach kids how important oxygen yeah. is and, and so the when focus. they see a tank they're thinking oh i know they're breathing oxygen mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and even adults you how many oh, adults yeah. at the aquarium routinely will say oh they're breathing oxygen, they're breathing oxygen. well it mm-hmm. is true we are breathing oxygen but also yeah. we're, we're not breathing. just oxygen exactly we're breathing air we're yeah. breathing pressurized air is what we're breathing that's great chris yeah i think that's a huge misconception that i see all the time yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Chris and Lindsay are both wonderful divers. We've gone diving with them. Um, I've gone, I think two times now with you all. A couple times, um, yeah. It's the reason we're still talking to you <laughs> and not lost at depth. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. We would still be down there somewhere <laughs> by Alki beach. Um, well, thank you, Chris. Yeah, that was really well researched. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, a physics book on the table. Well, it's a, it's not a dive. It's a diving physics, but yeah, so Chris. Kinetic theory of gas. Chris right went here. all in on this research. So yeah. yeah, just so everyone knows, he was not reading from that book. No, he was, was he was saying it right to our eyeballs. So yeah, absolutely, nice job. All right, uh, all right. You. Well, mine. We're gonna take it back. Sure. A few grade levels. <laughs> but, um, I wanted to talk about a timely topic, mm-hmm. which is the seasons Yay. Yay. and why we have seasons. And I chose it because, not that I hear this misconception all the time, but as a teacher, I got to teach this topic and I loved hearing kids' ideas about seasons initially. Mm-hmm. And I think it is well taught in school. So most people maybe don't come to adulthood with misconceptions about why we have seasons, mm-hmm. but maybe some people do. I think, yeah, Anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is possible. I, I mean, you maybe hear it. So m- mainly, if you ask a kid, especially, say, sixth or seventh grade, why we have a change of seasons, meaning it's there's winter, there's summer, um, you get a, a wide range of ideas. Some mm-hmm. kids actually don't even necessarily know that there are seasons happening differently around the world mm-hmm. that um, mm-hmm. some places experience spring when we're having summer or when we're having fall yeah um that there's a hemispherical difference so Mm -hmm. that's an interesting one Mm -hmm. um the other thing is that we commonly hear when you say why do we have summer versus winter is that oh well the earth rotates around the sun and it's farther away it's farther away Mm -hmm. and there's this idea that earth has this really elliptical path that it's traveling right this big egg and that when it's furthest away from the sun it's cold and winter 
vice versa. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you're farther away from a fire, it's colder. (laughs) Yeah. I mean. Done. Exactly. (laughs) No, see this. She hasn't gotten to the actual truth of it. Kim, that's a misconception. Okay. Yes. It's because the earth. You mean it's not? (laughs) Uh oh. We're We're all learning. Far away from (laughs) a celestial fireplace. Mm. Oh, new band name. (laughs) Celestial. Oh, dang. That is good. So, um, so it's fun in the class. I don't have time and it's a very visual, it's, it is really helpful to have models. So this is a concept that it helps teach not just the ideas of seasons Mm -hmm. and orbits, but also, um, kind of how to model things because we, it's really cool to give kids kind of evidence to piecemeal along the way and Mm -hmm. figure out, okay, well that doesn't explain if it is an an ellipsis. Why do different parts of the Earth yeah. experience seasons differently? Because you would think if it was, yeah, if you were rotating, oh, yeah, exactly. it would all be the same. It would all be the same, right? Yeah, it would be the same. Or it would be like winter 12 <laughs> hours a day. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right, right. Yeah. Well, it is in some parts of the... Okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, too. <laughs> yes, but... That's a good point, too. So, um, and, and this is interesting because I think as adults, too, we have pretty clear model if you I don't know how, if, how you were taught seasons or like if you can think back but anyways um, Vivaldi that's that's my model yeah, okay. yeah very, that's, very classic that's how I was taught the seasons <laughs> so I hope you, you feel Vivaldi the seasons you don't know them <laughs> Um, but essentially the earth is on or tilted on an axis. It's like 23 and a half degree mm-hmm. and it's always pointing in the same direction and it's toward Polaris or the North, the North star. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, and I'm, I'm using lots of hand motions right yeah. now, so I'm sorry you can't <laughs> no. translate this onto roughly 23 degree angle. Of her <laughs> yeah, hand. exactly. If you can imagine She's holding that at her home. hand. Get out yeah. your protractors kids. <laughs> um, so you've probably seen this model a lot with the sun in the middle, the earth's going around and, um, you know, when it's winter in the Northern hemisphere, which is where we all are currently, it is that northern point is facing the furthest away from the sun Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. So that means that the southern hemisphere is tilted slightly, slightly in favor of the sun, Mm -hmm. meaning that right now is, well, right now is spring, but going into summertime in the southern hemisphere. Mm -hmm. So that is the better explanation. So then you still have, you know, the tilt, the spinning every day, which creates day and night Mm -hmm. and then continuing on a year which is actually not 365 days but which yeah which is why we have leap years right that's, that's right. right yeah i let's I talk know. about the aztec calendar <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking well i was gonna too. go in a, gonna go in kind of a similar vein and i this is just how my brain works but i was thinking about people who think the earth is flat erroneously um how would they explain seasons, I wonder? Like, the fact that there are different seasons in the northern versus southern hemisphere. But they also, some of them don't think that Australia exists, so I don't know if we could find logic in I that I mean, have all. you ever been to Australia? You know, I haven't. Yeah. There you go. You know, it is really hard, and I, I don't know about the flat earth idea, because I've actually never had a fifth or sixth grader flat earth really earth. thought. That's really good news, It was really convinced actually. about the flat earth. That's yeah. very good news. Um, wait a second, wait a second, so I don't... Oh, Chris. <laughs> Misconception number two. Chris really? is learning. Ronan's oh, giving you a death glare. Yeah. Um, but there were definitely there were definitely kids who weren't totally convinced that there were seasons that mm-hmm. seasons ha- ex- happen differently. Yeah. On different, different sides of the globe. Of the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's that one does seem sticky because I mean I was joking but like this idea of close to the sun, hot, far away from the sun, cold. Mm-hmm. That does work when you think about the tilt. Like, mm-hmm. when you're tilted towards the sun, you have the summer, springtime, like, 
when you're tilted away, you have winter. But it doesn't matter actually like where the Earth is in its path around the sun. Right. It has that's to right. do with the rotational axis mm-hmm. of the Earth at that. Which, which still for and me is not a like astrologist. No, and it is astronomist. astronomist. Oh my goodness, astronomist. Oh. I'm a rising That is a good Pisces. point, which could <laughs> potentially lead to another misconception, the idea that, like, well, then the South Pole should be completely, like, hot and melted mm-hmm. during mm, its summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is that... That's a good point, too. Um, it's not. Mm-hmm. The so. <laughs> You're telling me. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's as far as I'm gonna go. Anyway. No, that's wonderful. Like that for today, but that's a really good misconception. I I do think that a lot of adults would have that misconception. Which, well, if you're there's... listening to this and that's what you thought, that's fine. That's well, why you're here. And to back that up, there's that famous video. And Lindsay, you were a teacher, a biology teacher. There's that famous video of like these Harvard graduates being asked, um, "Why do we have seasons?" Yeah, it's like it's yes. older. Yes. It's like from no, the I've 80s. Ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. And they ask them all, and like nobody can explain it, and they're all like engineers and like it's Harvard and like it was this famous study of like it has something to do with tricky the orbit. misconceptions mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah for sure um in fact the second misconception I ever did was about plants using and also like or using oxygen not just releasing it which is another one from that video series yeah mm-hmm. that's these Harvard graduates yeah yeah that idea that plants breathe oxygen and, mm-hmm. and, yeah or plants breathe CO2 breathe. and mm-hmm. we breathe oxygen yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. But so I, I bet a lot of people have that. Still yeah. Do it. yeah. Yeah. It's all about that that tilt that you can't see Lindsay doing with her hand. It's all about that tilt. <laughs> it's all about the tilt. <laughs> all right, Cameron, do you want to go next or should I? Um, I can go. Go ahead. All right. So, picture this all with me. You're walking through the Sonoran Desert. Close your eyes if you need to, unless you're driving and listening to the podcast. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, you're looking at cacti or cactuses. I couldn't get a clear answer on that. Well, that's an interesting one. I've always pondered what's the correct plural for cactus. I don't... Just like octopus, for example. Yeah. Right. Which is octopuses. So you see a cactus. You see some birds. (laughs) You only see one. You're walking along... Right, exactly. (laughs) You're walking along a park trail, and you see a flower you've never noticed before. You step off the trail to get a little closer to it. Shouldn't have done that. Bang. A snake sinks its fangs right into your hand. You start feeling intense pain in your hand, and it feels like something's burning. You look down at your hand, and you see two puncture marks. Vampire. (laughs) (sighs) What do you do? You're supposed to, like, like suck it out, right? Clearly, you should just suck the venom straight out of your hand. What you do is you go to your, your car... Back to your vehicle. Wait, open it up. This might be real. Grab a couple of jumpers to it and shock it to, to short circuit the venom circuit of, of the venom. So. You know, it is the lesser of the misconceptions, but I read so many crazy ways that you're supposed to be able to get rid of a snake's venom like Jumper toxicity. Cables? Jumper cables, yeah, battery acid. Bat- yeah, you, the battery well, I'm here. To, I'm here to tell you today. Just well, move to a place that does not have snakes. Let's talk. Can you? We're gonna handle the big one. Can you suck the venom out of your hand? I feel like okay. you shouldn't. The, Sorry, I won't jump ahead. Turns out you're on this podcast. So guess what? You shouldn't. You shouldn't suck the snake venom out of your hand. Um, there was a book maybe you just I, shouldn't swallow it. There was a book. book but, yeah, that's actually the clear. Once where uh, one of the persons. 
No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes. Where they use battery acid and no, jumper I, cables? Go. I'll tell you that story in a second. It has to do with sucking it out of the hand, but it was, it was, it was a variation of that. Okay. Well, and that's where it becomes so popular too. Is I think this is one of those that's like been popularized by like westerns, uh, and movies, stuff. and oh, yeah, yeah, like so much media. Like yes, um, I was starting on original on a WebMD article at first. Um, but then they said snakes are poisonous, and so I closed that tab right away mm-hmm. because yeah. all the biologists in here are nodding. Ronan is too. She knows. She Ronan's knows. Snakes nodding. Are snakes are venomous. Snakes are venomous. They're not poisonous. Because if it's injected, then it's venomous. And if you eat it and it's bad for you, then it's poisonous. Or yeah. like absorb it. Or in absorb some it way. in yeah. some way. Yeah, like, um, yeah. But the New England Journal of Medicine uh, had a 2002 study uh, where... I would not have wanted to have been a part of the study. They found individuals who they were testing if applying pressure to a wound using a tourniquet or even using your mouth to try to suck out venom worked. So this is in 2002. They tried this. These participants got bit by a venomous snake. Like, like intentionally bit? <clears throat> uh-huh. I'd still rather do that study than the one with Chris where they had to figure out when you could not dive with pure oxygen anymore. <laughs> Probably those people didn't know they were being studied. Yeah, I think so, that was yeah. one of those, That's like, back true. in the 60s, yeah, just part of the Navy studies. was, like, oh, yeah. All right, so then um, they got bitten on purpose. Well, yep. And so, turns out, none of those work. Um, and, in fact, there's a big danger of trying to suck the venom out of your hand, which was, it is now an open wound. And your mouth is one of, like, the greatest breeding grounds for bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of infections were actually found to have happened when they were trying to suck. And I keep saying hand because of my story. Yeah. I don't... It was, like, all over their body. It applies to everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason why this doesn't work, snake venom happens super fast or goes through your bloodstream super fast. Mm-hmm. Probably very similar to, like, Chris was talking about with oxygen your body kind of needs it all the time Mm -hmm. really fast so your blood pumps pretty fast Mm -hmm. snake venom gets once it's in your bloodstream that thing's gone if you're sucking on your hand or whatever Mm -hmm. that venom is probably already like coursing through your veins Mm -hmm. um it's also if you've ever gotten a paper cut and you try to i don't know why you would try to suck the blood out of your paper cut Mm -hmm. you probably don't it's probably not like coming out not sorry if anyone's like blood squeamish but Laura like, Howard, I'm so sorry about hand blood. It's not exactly like <laughs> flying out of you just because you start sucking on the blood in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if anyone's tried that, you know, be careful Yikes. out there. What if the patient's on a blood thinner? What then? Oh. You know, I didn't go down the rabbit hole of like, <laughs> what if you'd munch on an aspirin and then try it? Um, and Chris is an EMT, so I actually chose this one because I figured he'd be able to, or was an EMT. Um, figured he could add in some things here. Uh, but the paper did have a very helpful quote in it that said, the only thing that's effective is taking t- people to the hospital. All right. Which I felt would be great as like these like, you know, very scientists, they have this clinical study and they thought, you know, we should put at the end what does work. <laughs> um, so you might be asking, okay, I shouldn't do that. But what if I get bit by a snake? Are all snake bites leading to like a venomous reaction um people know about snakes no they're not all venomous um the mayo clinic uh well what do we know how can you tell this sort of a quiz does anyone know like 
how do you know if something's venomous? A snake, particularly. There's something about red on black. Red well, there's jack. yeah, there are this certain the, species. But there's, well, that's there are, one. There are false, false. Uh, oh yeah, this is not a. It's not good. about the color of the, of the animal. Are you talking about physical reactions of the actual envenomation itself, like or the appearance of the snake? That's a great question. I'm actually talking about like the look of the snake, but colors is one for some. What about like the? the what about his head? head? Triangle-shaped head. Triangle-shaped is, again, venomous. like Chris is saying, evolution has led to a lot of things looking like they're venomous. So, like, this is Go not a perfect way. Too. Triangle head, also something with the eyes. Rattles? Rattles, Rattles is, a good is good one. <laughs> It's rattling at you. Its giant fangs are in you. Yes. It looks like a cobra. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it has, a, hood. It has a, a big hood on it. Yeah. Um, isn't it with... Oh, it's like if the so pupils are slit, cat-like. Cat-like slits. Yeah, okay. like if they're round, generally not venomous. Okay. Um, also, if you have been bit, um, I didn't know Run. this. <laughs> to <laughs> yeah, the hospital. Leave, <laughs> and then look at your hand. If it looks like there's two big marks surrounded by little marks, oh. it is more likely to be venomous because the fangs um, are hollowed and they are bigger. Bigger, whereas. Go for it. Sorry, I'm imagining. I'm imagining like a ball python's mouth. I think that they have more. It's more uniform yes. teeth that are that are like hooked backwards. If you see little like it, kind of looks like a, a like serrated or like dotted horseshoe. Mm-hmm. Nothing. They all just kind of look the same size. Most likely, it was just a regular snake. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like if you're not sure, especially if it starts to hurt, venom like generally will start to like cause a lot of bad feelings. Go to the hospital, even if you're not sure. And I found out that not all venomous snakes lead to getting venom in your body. There are something called dry bites, where they won't actually inject you, which apparently happens in supposedly 20% of snake bites. Hmm. Really? Again, I don't know if this is, in that moment, is your time to be like, I got a one of five odds <laughs> that I can keep going on this hike. Can to do all snakes have fangs? Uh... No. They have teeth. I don't... Do the fangs have, have... like... You know, that's a good question. I don't know what the technical definition of a fang is. Margaret? Do they, have, do they all have a Ronan knows. teeth that are longer? Ronan oh. doesn't like snakes. Ronan, Ronan. I should have thought that through. Sweet dreams, big girl. Good night, Ronan. Now that Ronan's asleep, I think that was a perfect... Uh, intermission because we all immediately got on our phones to answer Chris's question. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out only venomous snakes, from what we could read, mm-hmm. uh, have fangs, mm-hmm. which are built to inject venom. And so there's no like, there's no like false fanged snake. Yeah, at it least it, in our cursory readings. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, it didn't it didn't state whether there's fang like yeah. structures, mm-hmm. but their teeth, if they look like. Fangs. Too big. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily fangs, so they wouldn't be called fangs. In that case, they'd be teeth, perhaps. Yeah. Yep. Um, but as we move on to this last part here, if it hurts, or even if it doesn't, and you think you got those two big puncture wounds from a fang, you should go because I also learned that a lot of venom doesn't has like a delayed reaction, especially mm. in humans, where like the snake may not, the venom may not be like built to like get at a human Mm -hmm. um apparently like copperhead bites can actually have been shown to be like delayed for years like patients will have like these crazy like masses that build up and the doctors 
try to figure out what goes on. Turns out the person had been bit. This has happened like several times, like a couple years back. Um, I don't like that. Even if you get bit and you're like, you know what? Don't feel anything. Might be okay. You should still go if it looks like you've got those fang marks. Um, something to get to here at the end is that out of, according to the World Health Organization, there are 5.4 million snake bites a year, of which around 100,000 die from every year. 100,000? Which thousand? puts it at about 1% of snake bites being fatal around the world. Now, I will say, and I'm going to get at to this in a second, all of those occur generally I, outside of the United States, as yeah. you might start to be thinking of. Um, there might not be access to hospitals right away. Yep. Sorry. Don't. So what should you do? Don't suck on your, the, the wound, get the venom, whatever. Um, Mayo Clinic says you should also not apply a tourniquet. Or pressure, generally. Pressure might be okay. A tourniquet was another common one. I thought that that would be helpful because it would maybe keep it in the... That is true. You are more likely, though, to have that venom concentrated in one spot, which increases the likelihood of, like, decay of that tissue. Oh, okay. So you're more likely to, like, potentially, like, risk losing or damaging permanently any of that tissue. Um, I think, Chris, you were just getting at, like, you shouldn't start running... Or, like, it might be a common reaction to, like, freak out. Um, generally, you're trying to stay as calm as possible. Anything that's going to, like, upset, like, what your heart is normally doing or, like, your blood in any way, like, is not a good idea. They said don't try to use alcohol to numb the pain, which I guess is some people are like, maybe if I, like, maybe this goes to the aspirin idea. Like, if I dilate my blood, mm-hmm. I, like, lower the chances of some sort of bad thing happening. Don't like chug a fifth. Don't don't really do anything that's going to like in some way change it. It also said don't drink caffeine. I'm not sure if people's first reaction were like, "Man, chug this coffee and then like figure it's a good this thing out." I got my coffee. It's cold brew. My latte, right, right at the ready. I'm trash without my coffee. Um, <laughs> remain calm. Do do that. Uh, do research dan- dangers beforehand. The number mm. one thing they said is once you get to the hospital, you help tremendously if you kind of know what you might have been bitten by. Mm. As weird as it might sound right as you get bit, one of the best things you could do is look to mm-hmm. see what might have bit you um, or at least kind of know what is in the area. All of the hospital probably knows. Um, because getting that... If you can grab it and kill it. <laughs> yes. And if bring you it can with bring you. it with you. Calmly. 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 Don't, Calmly don't and slowly. Don't. Kill it. You'd be like, this thing did this to me. <laughs> they go, great. We know that one. Mm-hmm. Thank you for That's Jerry. That Is that yeah. because of the anti-venom? Yes. Anti-venom. So let's talk anti-venom. Um, like I mentioned, uh, there's actually only 7,000 Americans bitten a year by snakes. Hmm. Hmm. If we extrapolate out with the 1%, that would say about... Well, the 1% would say 70 Americans die a year through snake bites, although that 1% is definitely not coming from Americans because we have a, we are much, anti-venom is more available to us. Mm-hmm. Um, in regions in Asia and Africa where most of the snake bites in the world are happening, um, only 2% of patients will receive anti-venom in uh, a recent study. Um, I've got this from ScienceNordic.com. Um, also, it says, oh, just so people know, antivenoms are made from, like, a mixture of any sort of immune animals. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I like a honey badger is immune. I don't know for like <laughs> stealing the or like honey a mongoose. Blood. Yeah, I don't know if it, but it's like made from some of the like proteins in the blood of immune animals. Mm. Um, hmm. Antivenoms are expensive. They cost like a hundred thirty-ish dollars per dose, um, which obviously a lot of people around the world cannot afford that, nor can the hospitals afford to just keep it on stock. Um, so you can take action. The Snake Bite Initiative, which is a nonprofit in where else in the world? Australia. Australia. Yeah. Where everything is venomous. I don't even need to fact check that. I just think everything <laughs> is. Um, you can donate to them, the Snake Bite Initiative, and they help uh, deliver antivenoms to the three most, the three top countries for snake bite prevalence: Kenya, Swaziland, and Papua New Guinea. That's great. I did not know there were organizations that did that. I didn't either, but then I started once I saw that fact. I thought, dang, there's a lot more people getting bit by snakes yeah. a year. Mm-hmm. Also, a percent of that, a hundred thousand people dying a year from snake bites. There's a lot of people. How does that compare to, say, people dying from shark bites, for example, statistically? Great question, Chris. Um, that's way more. Way, <laughs> way more. There was an episode. That's, that's what yeah. I thought. Way more. Way, 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 way more. About getting squashed by mm. elephants or charged by rhinoceros. I think, I wonder how many people. Hippos. 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 I think yeah. that's a big one, isn't That's it? the biggest, well, besides, besides mosquitoes, that's the biggest killer in Africa, I think. Yeah. Florida, um, the Florida Museum says there are about 15 deaths a year at most from shark bites or from sharks, and 11,000 sharks killed a year. 11,000? Oh, 11, killed every hour. Sorry. Thank oh. you. I was like, that's yeah. not true. Um, They're very different. 11,000 killed every, every hour. hour. Yeah, the sharks were framed. Um, I also want to point out the fact that if you do come across a snake, even a venomous snake, you don't need to freak out about it. Like, as long as you give them enough space. It's mm-hmm. totally fine. For example, I was at a bride's or a bachelorette party in Colorado, and we went on a hike, and there were hikers coming down the trail that said, oh, there's a rattlesnake over there. Be really, really careful. There's a rattlesnake in the bushes over there off the path. Um, and so a, a couple of the members of my bachelorette party, or the bachelorette party, were like, oh, we shouldn't, should we even go that way? Should we even, like, continue? Should we just go? And I yep. said, like, evacuate the mountain. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's like, no, it's fine. That Because we, we heard the rattle. You could hear it. But it was, like, five feet off the trail. And I was like, nope. It's kind of a best-case scenario, right? Yeah. It's like, warning the snake like, yeah. you know where it's at. It's saying, don't come near Just, me. Just, like, I'm here. Please don't come any closer. Well, and, and, yeah, it was fine. Like, we were just talking, like, snakes don't hunt humans. Mm-mm. There's only... One reason you are getting pythons. bitten by we a snake, pythons, you, know. you are up in his business. Up in his business. Up in his if business. you are bit by a snake, which is why I started that scenario not with it jumps out at you, <laughs> but you like got into his business. I always yeah. like to ask myself, what would Steve Irwin have done in this situation <laughs> oh, and kind of act accordingly? So I May think he, he would be up in his business. Yeah, he would Steve be up Irwin in his business. Steve Irwin was a great but example. But he would be up in his business in a trained and professional way. Yeah, there's a difference between Steve Irwin being bitten. And myself. Yeah. Yeah. Nice job. Thanks, Camden. Nice job. Well done. Well done. All right. So now it's my turn. That's and how this game works. like Lindsay, I chose a seasonally appropriate one because, um, when is this released? Oh, it'll be the day after Halloween that it's released. But Halloween coming up. Lots of candy on Halloween. Lots of kids. It's not coming up to people listening to this. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it, it came up. It went. It came and went. 
Um, that we know of. Lots of candy. Lots of kids eating candy. And so that brings up the question of what kind of impact does candy, does sugar have on kids? The misconception mm-hmm. is that it makes them really hyper. Right? We've, we've all heard that. Oh, yeah. Sugar yeah. makes kids hyper. Yep. Definitely. And because it's the show, guess what? It doesn't. <laughs> so, um, according to um, the chief of developmental and behavioral pediatrics at Oklahoma University Health Sciences Center. Who also happens oh. to be employed by the Hershey's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that Dr. Walrock. That would be quite the thing. That's Dr. Walrock, right? Dr. Wyrock. Yeah. You looked at this. Yeah, I just looked at oh, her okay. shoulder. Stop it. I had no idea. Um, sugar has no impact on how children act, hyper or otherwise. And he should know because he's done a couple different studies on them um, and sugar. You're saying it can't affect how they act at all? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. We'll get to that. Um, So how did this myth get started? Well, in the 1970s, there was a doctor, Dr. Feingold, who prescribed diets to children with ADHD that he recommended not to have, like, artificial sweeteners additives, dyes, things like that. And sugar was kind of lumped in because a lot of sugary foods have those things in them. What year? 1970s. Um, and so it's not clear how that perception of like how that they're hyper started, but it, I think it has something to do with like the fact that his idea was that if you're already kind of hyperactive with ADHD, sugar's not good for you. Um, but the the fact is that it's it's really correlative because if you think about it, when are when are kids having a ton of sugar? Halloween. Halloween. When else? Exciting times. Birthdays. Exciting times. Parties. Birthdays. Yeah, parties. They're excited. So you're looking at very excited children who happen to also be consuming sugar at the same time, and. So next to the tide pulls at the aquarium. Next to the tide so you're pulls saying at the when, aquarium. When people imbibe on too much alcohol. It's just that they're also just being really goofy. No, no, no. Like, oh, no, no, okay. no. No, no, no. That's that's a true thing. Got it. <laughs> um, so the, the adults draw the conclusion that sugar is the source of this hyperactivity. And one of the articles that I read had a really good quote that was, expectations can affect perceptions. So if you expect that your children are going to be hyper because they've had a lot of sugar, you'll start to see that. Um, and in fact, adrenaline, which has come up already today not in terms of snake bites in this incident is probably the most likely reason behind why kids are hyper at exciting events. You're excited. You're, you know, seeing all your friends and things like that. So that's, what's causing that like over stimulation reaction. Yes, Chris. Uh, curious. Did you beyond this research, the physiological effects of sugar on the organism. In other words, when we consume sugar, whether you're a kid or not, or mm-hmm. as an adult, what are the immediate body reactions to that substance coming into your body? It seems to me like there's some physiological changes that yeah. that take place that may affect our short-term behaviors once we ingest a, a quantity of sugar. Yes, and I will get there, especially in terms Dopamine, of what happens. Dopamine, for example. Like, yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. And especially what happens when we have too much sugar as well. Okay. Um, Thank you. So hang in there. All right. Um, Don't go anywhere. Now, I do want to point out that people who have low blood sugar can get energy from consuming sugar, but it doesn't work the same way for people whose blood sugar is already at a normal level. It doesn't work the same. Um, if you have sugar when your blood sugar 
is at a good level, the sugar converts to fat, not energy anymore. So you won't get that like hyperactive You're sugar You're telling high. me if I eat a lot of candy, I'll get fatter? Yeah, I think, I think that's what they're saying. Yes, yeah, studies have shown. <laughs> so I really love this study. I'm really interested by it. So there was a study done in 1994 where Dr. Walreich and others, and they basically got a group of kids and their mothers together and they gave some drinks to the kids. They told... Were they caffeinated? They were sugary. Or were they? So they gave... This, is, this whole episode's full of, like, Coca-Cola. weird, like, <laughs> trial studies that, like, seem questionable the now. The same doctor, the same parents. <laughs> to be fair, this... Underwater. This is the safest one of all of the studies we've talked about so far. Um, so... Were there larks involved? No <laughs> larks. No larks. No sugar. Yeah, no, no sugar for larks. Um, so the mothers, some of the mothers were told that their kids had consumed sugary drinks when they really hadn't. Mm. And they still rated their children's behavior as hyperactive, more hyperactive than the parents who were told that their kids had not been given sugar. And I also found it interesting that not only did they rate their children's activity level as hyper, but they also, the mothers who believe their children have been given sugar, were more likely to stay near their children and criticize them than parents who were told that their children hadn't been given sugar. So that's so an interesting side Did they so give any of the kids sugar and tell the parents that they hadn't had sugar just to have a double blind type scenario? <laughs> I think there are, there are some Probably. double blind studies coming up, but I don't know if they actually gave anyone sugar in that case. Um but yeah, so they, they stuck closer to them, they criticized so like them more, an and they observe, rated them as more hyper. Like an, an observer bias, too. Like, you see, you're like watching them more, mm-hmm. so you're like... You're like, oh, you're going to be crazy. You're going to be crazy. Watch out. You always say that to me. Um, oh, here comes the double-blind study. So another longer-term double-blind study done in 1994 as well gave set diets to children for three weeks. So some of the children got a diet high in sugar, one was high in aspartame, and one was high in saccharin, which I have not researched well enough to know what the difference is between some other kind of simple sugar. Yeah. It's so it's, it's another non-sugar sweetener. Yeah. Um, and that was double blind. So no one know, no one knew what they were eating. And then the researchers didn't know and no significant differences. So all of the sugars were bad, equally, equally good or bad. Like they were equally normal. Inert. Yes. Yes. One uh, might. But I mean, the thing is, is that you're, Blood sugar levels are going to normalize over time. So, so <laughs> if your blood sugar levels normalize on over time, how does that tell you the short-term effect of ingestion of, you know, a high quantity of sugar? Well, so I you think still have this idea that kids' energy levels spike after. Oh, they do. Consuming sugar. <laughs> they do. Show me those studies, Chris. I'm not buying it. Show me those studies. I the don't know. The scientist is not buying the scientific <laughs> studies. Okay, well, when I'm going to... give Lindsay ice cream, for example. <laughs> I go to sleep. Observation bias. Yeah, yeah that's just, that's just one sleep. data point, Chris. That's okay. just one data point. All right, all right. Um, so, yeah, none of no differences were found in the behavior and activity of the children eating the three different diets, so it didn't matter. Um, and so... I also found that a study done in 1978 suggested that quote unquote hyper children actually had low blood sugar. Why? They don't know, but just Hmm. almost saying exactly the opposite. Um, 
so that brings me to the point that there's still lots of research that needs to be done in this field, and I'm sure it's ongoing. For example, there are people, like Chris, for example, who maintain that sugar does have an impact on kids and their reactions to it. So Jill Castle, who's a registered dietitian and childhood nutritionist, she says a small number of kids with ADHD may be especially sensitive to sugar, and she suggests cutting sugar out of the children's diet. Does she cite any sources? No, she does not. Dang. So I, That's rough. I don't know if I believe her. Um, and in terms of like this sensitivity to sugar, this idea that like some kids just are like super sensitive to it, there was a study done with, again, quote unquote, normal preschoolers and preschoolers who were labeled as like, oh, she's sensitive to sugar. They were given a mix of sugar and non-sugar diets. And again, no significant difference between the two. So kids who are sensitive, it's again, it's just like you see, it might be that you see what it's you like, want to see. Yeah. Um, so um, to Chris's point, yes, there are some observable things that sugar can do to you. For example, there was a study that found that if you have a ton of sugar for breakfast, then you might decrease your attention span compared to people who either didn't have breakfast or had like a whole grain cereal of some kind. So Interesting. So having sugar like in the morning... Having a bunch of sugar. Would yeah. be detrimental to just not even eating. Yeah, it's, it's like in terms of your attention span, worse than not eating. According so my, to one study. My bowl of sweet and low every morning is... <laughs> Ugh. What? <laughs> um, but again... Again, there's pretty definitive evidence that sugar does not cause hyperactivity in particular. For example, 1982, National Institute of Health stated that there's no association between sugar and hyperactivity in kids. It's kind of their job to figure stuff like that out. Um, factors that may have some relationship with a child being hyperactive include sleep problems, um, individual differences in you know personalities and behaviors, Emotional disturbances and learning disorders. So those are things that have been shown to at least correlate with um, hyperactivity. So how is sugar processed? Um, are you going to walk us through a whole mm -hmm, sugar mm -hmm. factory? Say you're eating a cupcake. No. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you all might be able to say better than me and, and elaborate on this, but carbohydrates like sugars, like starches. Oh, I thought you are... were about to tell us about how we make artificial never mind no i didn't no like not like oh, how it's made. i was like I've... oh god no. <laughs> she's gonna walk us through how a factory makes sugar <laughs> no 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 so it's processed in your body it becomes glucose which is sugar but a different kind simple sugar that's the simplest sugar right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then the stomach and the small intestines soak up that glucose and push it out into the bloodstream so then from my understanding the glucose either becomes energy right away or it becomes fat stored for later. Okay, and if it becomes energy, how does that manifest physically in the in the body and the state of the It becomes energy only if their blood sugar is low. Well I also I want to clarify that homeostasis is like constantly using energy. Can and you I define think, for our listeners what homeostasis is? Sorry, homeostasis is. of like the body keeping itself at a normal conditions. Mm -hmm. And by normal conditions I don't just mean like I think Maybe why this misconception as a biology teacher is sticky is that we think of energy as like energetic, mm -hmm. but like right now I'm sitting on this couch, my body's consuming large amounts of energy just so I don't keel over right now. Mm -hmm. 
like just to like run every tiny little like cell in my body mm-hmm. has to be connected to a source of oxygen and glucose or I'm done for mm-hmm. or uh, that cell is. Mm-hmm. So like it's producing energy, but it's not the same as me being like bouncing colloquially like energetic. Mm-hmm. That's a really good distinction. I don't know. Is that? Yeah. That's, I think that could also be why it's like sticky to be like, well, I know sugar makes energy. So clearly if I eat a bunch of sugar, Mm-hmm. But it has a lot of work to do before there'd be excess, basically. Yeah, your body mm-hmm. knows when it stores it because it has enough or when it needs more because your cells need it to do cell things. Mm-hmm. So the thing about sugar is, no, it does not lead to being hyper, but kids are definitely eating too much sugar. And as are adults. I had like four different kinds of candy today. Um, <laughs> Brag. So I know. How much sugar is too much? Well, sugar apparently should be less than 10% of a person's caloric needs in a day. And so for the average four to eight year old, 33 grams of sugar is their daily limit. Again, average, which comes out to about nine Chips Ahoy cookies (laughs) or one and two fifths containers of Mott's apple juice or four fifths of a Coke. That's the one four to eight year olds a can of coke at the, yeah at the aquarium do y'all see like five year olds chugging a can of coke i really don't but of course but then there's yeah. sneaky stuff apple juice is sneaky yeah that is a sneaky one it's yeah. a sneaky one or like gatorade gatorade was another one that they talked about. high school teacher see a lot of kids drinking mm-hmm. like gatorade and stuff mm-hmm. well, how are you gonna get swole if you don't have gatorade who are you i don't know <laughs> um I learned that uh, according to WebMD, Americans eat approximately, well, I'll, I'll let you guess. How many teaspoons do you think the average American eats of sugar a day? Teaspoons? Teaspoons. We're ignoring my bowl of sweet and low. And this this doesn't count like natural sugars. So if you eat like okay, fruit, fruit or like milk or whatever, that doesn't count. How many teaspoons would you say the average? average? Yeah. 15? 10? Okay. 10, 15. 15? Teaspoons. Camden? Oh, Fif- 15 sounds like what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess like 62. Oh my God. I'm going okay. <laughs> to say 25. It's right in between you and Lindsay. It's 20. The average American can... That was what I was going to say first. <laughs> they haven't seen me teaspoons. put away a bowl 20 of teaspoons of sugar a day. It should be 6 teaspoons a day for women and 9 for men. But again... Oh, a day? Yeah, a day. Oh, that's why I, I thought it was a year. Oh. I that's why I said 62. I was like, oh. Y'all looked at me like it was okay, insane. Okay, yeah, but what, what's, what's 20 multiplied by 365? Yeah, yeah okay. Clearly so not. Okay. That's a lot of... <laughs> Oh, it's so cool. much. Yeah. <laughs> now I feel sick. Um, yeah, I thought a, I, I thought a lot about my choices while researching this misconception. Um, so you mentioned dopamine at the beginning, Chris. Yes, eating sugar releases dopamine in your brain, makes you feel good. Euphoric. Yep, and that's why it can cause like a craving. And then the crash. And then the crash, yep. And then sugary foods, of course, tend to have lots of calories but no nutrition. There's a risk for heart disease, obesity, high blood pressure in kids and adults who consume a lot of high sugar foods. And of course, cavities. So mm-hmm. brush your teeth after Why'd you, you look trick me? or treat. Because <laughs> you, you've had some cavities. My mom recently. listens to this. She's going to know I don't cavities. brush my teeth all the time. You do. You do. Just cavities are a risk. Um, so to conclude, if you, think, if you think your child might be hyper on sugar, maybe you're the one who needs to calm down. Ooh. <gasps> oh, because you might get bit. But on a serious note, no, that's yours. <laughs> oh. If you have concerns, talk to your child's physician about their diet. 
Um, and it can be tricky to determine what ingredients in a person's diet are having an impact on them because nutrition varies widely from person to person. So, Thanks, Margaret. The end. Is now the part of the show where Camden links all misconceptions <laughs> yeah. in a single sentence? Yeah. So all right, Camden, go ahead. If <laughs> you are underwater uh-huh. with a lark and you give it six teaspoons of sugar, mm-hmm. then it's summer because you got too much time on your hands and what was mine? Venom. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, snake. And then a snake eats it. Great. The end. All right. So All right. the question then is, are the convulsions, if the convulsions are caused by the oxygen that it's breathing or the envenomation? Or the sugar. Or, or, the, or the sugar. Or, the sugar. or just a watchful mom. Or, or perhaps. Lark moms. I'm going to name this episode Lark moms. Oh my gosh. All right. The euphoria of summer. <laughs> the euphoria of summer. The sugar high of summer. Summer of 19. Um, okay. So before ending each episode, we have a short segment sharing something interesting we've read, listened to, watched, or otherwise consumed this week. Um, let's go backwards. That means me. I promise I didn't do that on purpose. Um, I have been consuming, and therefore Camden has been consuming. Speaking of trashy things <sighs> to consume. It's trashy. Um, I've recently been watching a reality show called... Love Island, and it's the worst thing I've ever watched, but I won't stop. Can't stop. Uh-oh. It is about, I think, what? I've, I've heard it's the British equivalent of Bachelor in Paradise, but I've never which seen I don't Bachelor know what Bachelor. that means, but yeah. I've heard people tell that to me. When it's, I... it's like 10 British people oh my goodness. who are all isolated in this like villa thing, and they have to do these different like games and challenges, and... Then they have to decide like who they're gonna couple up with. So it's romance and Survivor mixed up. But Survivor, if this if the challenges were like who's got the best butt, like that's not it's not <laughs> high stakes. It's not high stakes. Um, it is garbage, and I won't give it up. So is this on Netflix? What's, it's what's on the Hulu. reward? What's the end? You get fifty thousand pounds if you are or if you oh, are the last couple. I thought you were asking for us. I'm like, there's no end. <laughs> there's no good that comes at the end of this. There's no reward. And Camden, no you've been watching it as well. So, <laughs> I think the person who, well, Mia, who was there on episode mm-hmm. something with us, um, introduced us to it, and she's very sneaky in this. She had to start on season three. Which, if anyone's trying to get on this garbage train... Please don't. <laughs> there's one person on there who Camilla. is crazy normal. And not, like, normal and, like, oh, they're, like, they seem regular. She's, like, a wonderful person. She She's like, a feminist. She Her job is to take to, to take bombs out of war-torn countries. Like, like, land, like land discarded mines. landmines. Mm-hmm. Like, she's a crazy, amazing person. Now, picture that on, like, the trashiest, like... It's it's the so weird. Big yeah, Brother Bachelor House, and then you're like, "How are you here? What why must be you? going? Th- why are you here? These people's brains are mush. How are you doing this?" If you love garbage and accents, you'll love Love Island, <laughs> and that's my plug for Is it. Is it on an island? <clears throat> no, oh. no, it's not. I really love British accents. <laughs> oh, I love them so much. This one is it's. It's, it's kind like, of it's sneaky. After two episodes, you're like, what a stupid show. But then you're saying that in a trashy British yeah. accent, and you can't stop for yeah. a day. Yeah. You learn a lot of slang. Fit. 
Yeah, he's dead fit in it. Yeah, it's great. Kevin, what are you excited about? Um, I need get, to go into like we get the same detox. Thing from yeah, you need a decompression chamber. <laughs> we made uh, the British Baking Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Brit. It is not the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> no. It is like the opposite of what British television is to that. Except they're still British. Except they're British. Um, so, I like baseball a lot. I don't think I've actually talked about baseball before. So I'm going to explain to you all of Ken Burns' oh my God. baseball documentary in the next no, no, no. 40 minutes. No, no. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, my brother-in-law sent me this podcast from NPR. It has a podcast, uh, Planet Money, which mm. I don't watch or listen to a lot. But he sent me this thing about um, if you've seen the movie Moneyball or read the book Moneyball, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Pratt's in it. Hey. From Parks and Rec and Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. He's in Moneyball? Who? Chris Pratt? He's one of the players. He's not a major character. Oh, because he wasn't if... famous then, right? That's crazy. I don't oh, actually Jonah know. Hill. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's about how, like, the Oakland Athletics figured out the, like, <laughs> the different ways to, like, find value in baseball players instead of the traditionally, like, valuable ways. There's this new idea, which or this new podcast episode is called Some of the Moneyball where basically they talk about how players in the minor leagues, which is also a fascinating story because they are exempt from federal minimum wage laws. A minor league baseball player can take it home as little as like $7,000 a year. They are criminally underpaid. And that's a full-time job. It's a full-time job for like how from February to like October. Um, It's like a very like brushed over thing because people focus on like the millionaire's in the professional leagues, but the minor leagues are like crazy lax on their laws. They were past like all this lobbying was done so they didn't have to pay them a fair wage. That's not the point here. But because of that, these like players pool together. This hell episode's about how they pull together and like basically they turn like all eight of them they're like they like stick together in like a pool of eight and then if any of them hit it big, they all get, like, a chunk of that person's, like, career earnings. Oh, that's nice. But the idea is, like, they all bet. Instead of betting on yourself to be a millionaire, you, like, bet on seven other people to be a millionaire. Huh. But it's, the whole episode's about that and how, like... Like, they enter a contractual agreement. Yes. Or is it just, Yes, like, it's a contract. Like, it's a legal contract, but it's how it's starting to permeate other things. Like, high... It's permeating professions where there is a high risk reward for hitting it big so like conservation education yeah conservation (laughs) let's hit them teachers zoologists yeah (laughs) yeah teachers but no it's like it's like bit like both mostly like business people Mm -hmm. like people who are going to try to like become the next ceo of whatever or like startups Mm -hmm. um like in the tech industry like five like startup people will like connect to each other and be like, whoever hits it big, we get like a 10% chunk of your earnings. Anyway, super interesting. What's that phenomenon called? Or does it have a name? It doesn't have a name that I understood it or that I remember. But the episode is called Some of the Money Ball and it's on NPR's podcast, Planet Money. Kind of interesting. And it's also super, took like 20 minutes to listen to. I like Planet Money. Yeah. Whenever I catch it. Uh, reverse order. Lindsay. Lindsay. Oh, it's me. Yeah. Um, what have you been consuming? We have been consuming a couple things. I'll let you talk about what we're watching now. We've been listening to a book on tape called, you ready for this title? Mm-hmm. Um, 
This is maybe why Chris doesn't like British accents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is called The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read and Your Children Will Be Glad That You Did. Oh. oh. Uh, and so far, the title, I think, is pretty apt. Mm-hmm. It's um, pretty impressive. So it's about um, this woman who is a psychotherapist mm-hmm. and she is British mm-hmm. and she reads mm-hmm. it herself yeah. but she has really amazing ideas about raising kids and just how to um, talk to your kids mm-hmm. essentially at any age and mm-hmm. so she definitely talks starts with babies which is where we're at sure but goes all the way into adulthood and her idea is basically that it's never too late to repair any possible ruptures that have happened between I like you that and a that's good to hear but, um, which is very encouraging. Yeah. Um, but it also just kind of breaks it down and is very simple about like everyone wants to be understood and heard and listened to. And I think as a very recent mother, that's encouraging mm-hmm. and that there's so many things out there. There's so, so many materials out there you can read and listen to and yeah. be told like what to do, what not to do. Here's the list of things to avoid and here's the things you have to do. Otherwise your kid's going to hate you. And, and those like, lists contradict years. each other. Yeah. Constantly. All the time. There's like yeah. the overlap is like zero. So she just, it's much more simple and it's like, hey, we're all humans and we want to be listened to and understood and loved. And mm-hmm. Is there like a short nugget or like story from it that like really, or that like was stands recent or like stands out to you? Yeah, from the, it I already? mean, the, the thing, so again, <laughs> she always talks about ruptures and repairs. And, um, <laughs> but with a like Chris London, British, British accent. Yeah, so ruptures and repairs. I mean, it's kind of this theme throughout the book is the fact that there's so many different, and she talks about ways that ruptures happen. Um, and ways to repair it. But it, essentially, it's this idea that you have to be able to recognize the fact when a rupture has happened. You can't just smooth over it. You can't just... Ignore and a lot it. of yeah. things out there really are about just avoiding the rupture and mm-hmm. making things look good and happy or, like... So you have to, like, acknowledge... Running from it. or You have to acknowledge that something happened or, like, a kid's feelings were hurt or mm-hmm. something that they expected didn't happen. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you have to acknowledge it. You have to listen to it. For different kids, it's going to look different. But, and then gotcha. you, you have to repair it. And so that takes time, energy, effort, um, love, tr- building trust back again. So. Yeah. I mean, that's one aspect of it. But also, it also uh, talks about how we as parents or as adults that we have certain reactions to children or others around us um, that may stem from our own ruptures mm-hmm. and that oh, yeah. part of it's about understanding yourself of like why when this person does this do I re- react this way and, mm-hmm. and trying to take it back to your own oh. traumas that you may um not know of or you don't want to acknowledge in your own upbringing that Ooh. causes you to be reactive in a particular way. So it, it's, it's, it's circles and circles, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not only applying, you know, uh, to your own child, but also analyzing yourself and asking yourself like, why do I react when this person does this or, the, or my child does this? Why, why does it cause me to behave? What is it about this behavior that gets to me so much? And yeah. why does it, and then maybe looking back into your own history and, and saying, you know, uh, doing some exploration and finding out, you know, why that may be, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of curious in that, in that sense too. Wow. So what was the name of the book? The book you wish your parents had read that your children will be glad you did. I like nice. that. I like that a lot. I like that it looks both in the future and in the past, it sounds like, too. Yeah. Nice. And it's British. Chris, what are you excited about? Or what have you been consuming? Um, we've been consuming, because it's Halloween right now, we've been consuming uh, Castle Rock on Hulu. Ooh. Uh, oh. And, uh, we're on uh, season one right now, and we've got a few more episodes, and it's 
It's pretty intriguing, for sure. Is it spooky? Well, yeah, what is it? What for is it those about? who haven't watched the, yeah. it, like, what's a small, like, basically about? So it's based on the Stephen King universe. Stephen oh. King universe. Okay, oh, the so universe. it is scary. Not, so it's, it's cr- I would say it's creepy. Okay. More so than scary. Yeah, like Twilight Zoney. It starts out like with a, a prison where uh, it, it begins without going giving too much. It begins with a, uh, the suicide of the warden and mm. discovering a um, undocumented prisoner in a hole oh, in the prison that has been there for seemingly like thirty years with no identity, no records, no. <sighs> know anything. <laughs> Margaret's already cringing, yeah. so and maybe it's scary. <laughs> I have a very low tone. And it, it sounds fascinating. It does it, deal with a lot of like the tropes, right? Yeah. Like the, asyl- it, the asylum, the prison. Mm-hmm. The... Is it jumpy? I ask all these questions to figure out if Margaret can handle it. I don't think it's that jumpy. It's not jumpy. No. Okay. Okay. Compared to the, like the Haunting of Hill House, which was our Halloween show last year, mm-hmm. it's not very jumpy. Okay. okay. It's, it's more, more like creepy. That's yeah. fine. I can do Good. that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but we are not finished with it yet, but I have a feeling it's, it is still going to s- stay with that Stephen King theme mm-hmm. of just cool. kind of general creepy undertones. Yeah. If you know Stephen King novels, of which I don't know a ton, like, will you, like, pick up on, like, I have not read or... a lot of Stephen King, but I have heard that you will. I've heard okay. there's a lot of Easter eggs in there. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. as someone who hasn't read Stephen, a lot of Stephen King, I still appreciate it, and I like cool. the show. What do you think? You've read more Stephen King. I have, but it's been it's been a number of years since I've picked up yeah. any Stephen King. I think so it's not like rip-offs of like... Okay. No, it gotcha. isn't. It's, it's, it's uh, fresh and it's new and it and it keeps me on my toes and guessing and, you know... Cool. You, know, you don't know whether you're in the past sometimes or the present or is this uh, illusory, you know, mm-hmm. or did this really happen, you know? And, mm. You know, it, it, there's a lot of questions, you know, so... This nice. is a good reminder that it's about time for me to watch the the scariest movie I can handle, which is Lion King. Coraline. <laughs> Lion King would be a good guess. It's not far off. It's not far off. No, I'm 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 a you know, I can do scary movies. Did you watch Stranger Things yet? I've watched the first season. Oh, you did? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was, How was that on your scary That's scale? fine. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. A little creepy but not like scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm trying to get up the courage to watch Us. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. I, I yeah. don't know. No, we didn't see that. No. Okay, I'm trying <laughs> uh, to get yeah, the courage. Uh, we saw we saw Get Out. I was gonna and say, I've seen A Quiet was... Place this oh, yeah, past year, so I'm true. I'm very brave. Intru- now that I think back on it, it's I'm kind of brave. interesting. You made it through Quiet Place. Well, there's a reason I made it through Quiet Place. Was your eyes closed? John Krasinski's beard. Uh, ah, yeah. but he very attractive. Well, <laughs> well, we won't. Yeah. Anyway, um, I th- I want to see us. I I want to try. That sounds like a really good show that I because I like I like creepy and suspenseful i just don't like jump scares mm-hmm. so mm. maybe i'll try that one out all right um before we end every episode we always want to offer a place for any sort of plugs promotional or otherwise looking at you Lindsay. Lindsay, we're gonna <laughs> hit you up big for that one do you want to plug Talk a certain studio well sure um yeah if you want to find my art i am on instagram at web and moss that's w-e-b and m-o-s-s web and moss um yeah, yeah. Would check my stuff out it's mm-hmm. mostly watercolor art based on illustrations if you like books and art you might like my stuff and who doesn't yeah and it's really good it's really like, good very good and also it's an appropriate title because we're also surrounded by plants 
recording this in y'all's house. There are a few plants here. There's <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> don't tell Chris. Don't let him like start counting. No, <laughs> please don't count. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Um, you can hear more content like this from our sister wife podcast, From U to O, hosted by me. Don't. don't oh, go ahead. <laughs> now they know it's a script. <laughs> don't pee on your leg and other scientific misconceptions is a podcast produced by Two Birds, One Scone. Articles, blog posts, and more about what you can do every day to conserve our environment can be found at www.twobirdsonescone.org. The theme song was Original Music by Camillo. And if you would like to let other people know how much you like this podcast, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere that podcasts are found. If you have scientific misconceptions that you would like explained or want to provide feedback to us, please email us at don'tpeeonyourleg at gmail.com. Have a great great week. week.